have your Bibles. Um, I have mine, luckily. I didn't forget it at home. Um, if you don't have your Bible, you have your uh, cell phone or your iPhone or your smartphone or your dumb phone. Um, look up Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 6 through 11. And this is what it says. Now it happened on another Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue, synagogue and taught. And a man was there with his right hand was withered. So some of the scribes and Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, to everybody who was there, not just to the man, but to them, plural, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save a life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them, this has got to be so intense. Can you imagine Jesus? Like he's just staring everyone down and they're like scared to death probably because Jesus had a presence like you've never seen or heard before. He had a presence when he entered into a room that was just phenomenal. And someday when we get to heaven, we'll see that presence and and we'll just all be amazed. And I can't wait for that day. It's amazing that Weldon is there now and and the life that he lived, that he, he, he was a good and faithful servant. And now he is with our Lord and Savior. Praise God with his wife, Marianne. It's such a beautiful thing. And I can't wait for us all to get there one day where Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. But he's staring down these people and he's asking them a question because he made the sabbath this is god who's speaking and he created the sabbath and he's speaking to people who are trying to judge him based on the sabbath that he created saying you don't know what you're doing here you don't know what the sabbath is for and he's saying i'm the one that created it so why don't you tell me if it's good to do good or good to do evil on the sabbath to take a life or to save a life That's the situation that Jesus finds himself in. And he looked around at all of them and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. When Jesus restores your hand, he restores it whole. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now, during this period of time, the the same story is told not only in Luke, but also in the book of Mark. There are actually five encounters that talk about um, confrontation with Jesus because Jesus's ministry um, wasn't just about comfort. Jesus was a minister of comfort, but he was also a minister of confrontation and comfort and confrontation are both functions of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that lives in you and lives in me. The same God that comforts you in your trials is the same God that will confront you in your dysfunction. If you're going through something and you're not quite looking at things in the right way, and it's all done to conform us and to change us, to become more like the person of Jesus. So throughout Jesus's ministry, We see that he's a reliable source of comfort for those who mourn, but he's also a reliable source of confrontation for those who become complacent. 
Jesus is there with the religious rulers of the day. And this story, it really revolves around the person of Jesus and his observance of the Sabbath. And and the Sabbath was made and, and was given to man from wisdom because this was a principle to restore or to bring health to creation. That's what the Sabbath was for. That's why God made it in Exodus 31, 17. It's talking about the people and it says, it is a sign between me, between God and the sons of Israel forever. That's you and me and all the Jews and, and everybody. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth. But on the seventh day, he ceased from labor and was refreshed. This is a principle for you and me, but it's for all of creation because not only does it talk about people being refreshed, but also the land is refreshed from the Sabbath. In Leviticus 25, 4, it says this, but in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of solemn rest for the land, a Sabbath to the Lord. You shall neither sow your field nor prune your vineyard. And it has been, um, shown and studies that if you will rest your land every seven years, it will produce a more fruitful crop in the other six years than if you actually use that, that land in the seventh year. This is a principle that God gave us and and God's principles throughout the Bible are always followed with a promise. Every time God gives a principle in his word, there is a promise that will follow. Unfortunately, like many things, when God gives us something, a lot of times we'll pervert that principle. And instead of it being followed by a promise, it now is followed by a problem. And so we see the Sabbath, which was given to be restorative, but it has become destructive and has become abused because the purpose that it was being used for is now different than it was designed. So we see Jesus in a situation, he comes into the scene and the temple function has now become dysfunctional. The system is no longer working because the, the twisting and, and the dysfunction of this principle that ha- had been used and given to people to be something that is good has now become something that reflects nothing like what it was originally intended for. It was meant for restoration. Jesus comes back to bring fun- Function to a system that had gone wrong. So this morning, as we get into this series and talking about faith works, I want to speak from the subject of fun- functional faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so more, much for this morning. God, I thank you that you are God of faith, Lord, that you taught us things in your word. Lord, help us to glean from your words this morning, Lord, that we would see how this can a- apply to our lives, Lord, that that we would have faith, Lord, faith that you said would move mountains in our lives, Lord, that as we talked about last week, that we wouldn't no longer look to Mount Sinai, but we would look to Mount Zion, that we would no longer look to ourselves, but we would look to you for faith in you, not faith in ourselves, Lord, because faith in you is the only faith that we need. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, that you open our eyes, that our ears would be open to what your spirit wants to say, or that we would never, ever be the same again. We ask these things in your name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. How many here have ever thought about joining a gym or have a um, gym membership? Anyone, anyone here ever thought about, there's a lot of gyms in Phoenix. Have you noticed that? There's CrossFit, which, I mean, we all know about, and it seems somewhat cultish, but it, it's good. It, it's good. I know I, there's a pastor friend of mine. He actually has a CrossFit 
in his church, which is really neat. I, I, I think that's great. Uh, there's LA Fitness, um, Orange Theory, which seems so weird to me. There's Knockout Fitness, uh, Planet Fitness. Anyone here go to Planet Fitness? Yeah, we got a couple of Planet Fitness people here. Okay, so I heard that if you go to Planet Fitness on Fridays, they actually feed you pizza after your workouts. That seems... Okay, but they do it, right? It's there. They... Okay, but but they do it. I mean, that would be, I don't know. I, I think about that, and I think that would be, like, sort of counterproductive. I don't know. It would be like if after church we, like, gave everyone crack or something. Like, I don't know. It just, it seems weird to me to provide pizza. But, but you know, it's all good. It, it's pretty cool. I uh, joined Mountainside Fitness uh, about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And I quickly discovered that there are different ways that you can work out at a gym. Uh, you can try and figure it all out on your own and act like you know what you're doing, even though you have absolutely no clue. Uh, or you can get a trainer, and the trainer will tell you what to do because you have no clue what to do. And when you first go to the gym, they actually give you a free session with a trainer, which is great. And so you go around with this trainer, and they walk around, and they point out everybody who's doing everything wrong. And and that person is lifting their weights wrong. And that person is doing jumping jacks wrong. I don't know how you do jumping jacks wrong, but I guess you can. And that person isn't doing that right. And that person isn't doing that right. And and so if a trainer is walking by you and is looking at you and you're working out, it's probably not because he's admiring your form. Uh, He's probably making fun of you. In fact, no, they're just making fun of me because I'm too cheap to get a trainer um, at my gym. Um, but you also see different philosophies in a gym. Uh, you've got the common, like, I'm just going to go and use a treadmill, and I'm just going to stay in pretty good shape and be able to cardio, all that type of stuff. And that, that's awesome. And then you have the people who are like beach body workout people, and, and all they do is like biceps and triceps and chest. They like never even think about their legs. It's just, what is going to make me look the best? But there's this new type of fitness that is all over our gym right now. And and there's signs and stuff for it all over the place. It's called functional fitness. Has anyone heard of functional fitness? And the idea is uh, adaptability and um, application. And so the question that you ask when you're going through functional fitness is, is this something that could help Help me in real life. And am I doing things in the right way? It talks a lot about your core and your back and making sure that you're actually getting stronger, not just looking stronger. Um, it's really funny. Uh, Kyle has, uh, has a trainer. And now come on up here, Kyle. Everyone give it up for Kyle. <laughs> Kyle's been going to a trainer and now he has been trained in the art of functional fitness. And so he's telling me about all of these things that he's doing, and I'm pretending like I like know this already, but I don't know any of it. And then I'll go to the gym and like try it because he's got a trainer and I don't. So we go to the same gym. But he's telling me about these things that you can do. And so one thing is the common push-up. Has anyone ever done a push-up here? Okay, yeah, we've, we've all tried to do a push-up at least. But Kyle was telling me that the way that I do push-ups is not the right way to do push-ups. And I've been doing push-ups for a long time. And so, Kyle, go ahead and why don't you go up here. And, and he's telling me, he's going to do a, a push-up for us. Um, show us the way you used to do push-ups. <laughs> yeah, so, so it's a cheating push-up. 
Now show us what a functional fitness push-up looks like. Look at that. Arms straight. Yeah. Thanks, Kyle. You, you can take a seat. It's amazing how much you can do with so little. I mean, you don't have to have 15 machines and ellipticals and treadmills and all these weights and all these different workout machines. Listen, you can hate your life with just gravity and a mat. You don't need all of those things. And, and I think that functional faith is a lot like functional fitness because you don't have to have all of this knowledge and all of these degrees and all of these books in order to change your life from faith. Let me tell you, you could take one verse and know one verse and meditate on one verse out of the Bible. And if you know how to apply it to your life, it will change your life forever. That's functional faith. This is a faith that works in real life. It's getting your core strong. It's believing that if I take this one verse that is life to me, that that the Bible says is everything that I need, if I can take one verse and really apply it to my life, then it can change everything that I see from my outlook to the way that I walk, to the way that I interact with people. It's functional faith. It's, It's functional in real life. I think one of the best things that you could ever say to me as a pastor is that something that I said on a Sunday morning changed your Monday or changed your Tuesday. Or that something that I said made a difference in your home. Or something I said made a difference in your marriage. Or, or something that I said, you said to your coworker, And because of what you said to them, it, it changed their life or their perspective. Or, or maybe you even got to share Jesus with them. And there's nothing better than that. In fact, if I say something on a Sunday, feel free to say it to somebody else. You don't even have to quote me. You don't even have to say it came from me. Uh, well, well, the first time say, well, my pastor says. The second time say, I've heard it said. And then the third time, just say, I've always said, but, but, but use it. And you know, I just, I pray that the sermons on Sundays, just make it into your Mondays, that they make it into your Tuesdays, that they comfort you on Wednesday, that they go with you on Thursday and Friday and Saturday, because I don't want faith to just be a part of your life. I want faith to be central to your life. I want you to see the function of faith. I want you to see the efficiency of faith. I want faith to be at the core, because if it's not at the core of who you are, dysfunction will start to show itself in other places in your life. Jesus brings functional faith to a dysfunctional system. He walks into the temple and it says that again, he came into the temple because this is not the first time that this has happened. And this story in Luke chapter six is about so much more than just a man with a withered hand. It's about a heart of a broken system and a people who have dysfunctional faith. They don't even really know what's going on anymore or what the rules or, or the promises or the principles that God has given them. He, they don't even know why those are there anymore. And it's so hard sometimes to talk about faith because we use faith all the time. There's so many different ways that we talk about faith and throw that word out there. It almost becomes meaningless. I mean, you have blind faith. You have a lack of faith. You have great faith. You have someone who came to the faith or someone who lost their faith. Or, or you talk to someone, you say, keep the faith or, or have faith or, or go find faith. 
faith or, or you have a person of faith, like it's some ethnicity or, or something like that. We use this word all over the place, but I believe that faith is supposed to be so much more than just a label. Faith isn't just some feeling that we have or something that we, we conjure up inside of us. It's not some formula that you can equate If you can come up with with a formula and reduce faith to a formula, I promise you it's not faith. If you can make sense of it, it's not faith. If you can explain it, it's not faith because you don't need faith for what you can explain. You don't need faith for for things that you can turn into a formula. Hebrews 11.1 says this, Faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. One theologian said, Faith is patience with mystery. Faith is being able and willing to abide in a place even though you don't understand while you're there. Why am I here? It's okay. I still have faith. Let's play a game. What is the opposite of good? evil or bad what is the opposite of light dark what is the opposite of faith fear doubt it's very easy for us to think the presence of doubt is the absence of faith this is what one theologian said he said the the opposite of faith is actually certainty let that sink in for a second that's the idea of saying I figured everything out. And because I figured everything out in my life, my life is now in such a position that I don't have to attempt anything that takes God. I have certainty in every single thing that I do. So I don't need to stretch myself into new territory because I've got it all laid out in the way that it should be. And when I don't stretch myself into new territory, then I don't have to have faith, which enables me to do and to conquer the challenges that I'm going to have for my faith, for my future, because my faith isn't building. My faith isn't growing because I'm already certain about everything in my life. I'm comfortable. I have a certainty. Listen, you can have doubts and still function in faith because faith is not certainty. You don't have to feel faith to have faith. You can have faith in your darkest times. You can have faith in the biggest storm or even when you have monumental doubt in your life. Faith isn't thinking that the waters will not be choppy anymore. It's knowing that I will get to the other side regardless of if the waters are choppy. This is a faith that works. This is a faith that in the middle of the storm, you know that God is with you. And even though you doubt if you're going to make it, you know you will make it because you have God. You might not think you can make it on your own and you can't make it on your own, but it's believing in God and not having certainty in yourself or even in your situation, but the God that is above and over your situation. That's real faith. So I want to talk about this idea of faith and really as it revolves around Luke chapter 6. Now, if you want to get fit... A good first question that you and I would want to ask is what are your goals? What is your purpose? What is your objective? Everyone say objective. Is your objective, if you're wanting to get fit, because you're going on your honeymoon, so you want to look good for a week, and then you're just going to revert back to the way that you were before? Or is your objective in getting fit a lifestyle change so that you can live a healthier, better, longer life? 
faith is really a lifestyle change. What is your objective? In Luke chapter 6, we have three characters in the story. And each one has a different reason for being there. You have Jesus who is there to heal. You have and to teach. You have a man who is there to be healed. And then you have the Pharisees who are there to watch. In Luke chapter 6, 6 and 7, it says, Now it happened on the Sabbath also that he entered the synagogue and taught. And the man was there whose right hand was, also, was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. So Jesus' objective is to heal. And you have these Pharisees' objective, which is to find offense. They went there to be offended. They are watching and experiencing what Jesus is doing because they want to be offended. Have you ever known somebody who just like goes somewhere to complain? It's like they go somewhere and you know that they're not going to have a good time. You know that they're not going to want to be there. You know that there's no reason for them to be there in the first place because they're just going to be miserable. But they go there anyways. And who knows why? I don't understand it. I don't understand. Imagine you're going to a Cardinals game and you already knew that Carson Palmer was going to blow out his knee again. And they were going to lose by 50 points. Why in the world would you do that? Like just a glutton for punishment. You just like to be in a bad mood or being frustrated all the time because your team is going to stink. I, I, I'm sure this is a lot like the, what the Cowboys experience and their fans every single week. But... Oh, oh, uh, wow, that got y'all talking. Yeah, y'all can always talk like that. You can always talk back to me. Have you ever found yourself going somewhere or doing something just to be offended? I've found myself doing that. And we see these people and they're in a situation so that they can be offended. And if you go somewhere because you think you're going to feel better about yourself, it will never work because your dysfunction is causing your sickness in longing to go somewhere where you're not happy. There are some people who go places with a false, false objective. And in this situation, we see it's a false objective of their faith. And whenever there's a false objective, it's always exclusive, exclusive, and it's never inclusive. When, this is when churches worry more about how God is doing something than the fact that they can be a part of what he's doing. These are Pharisees who care far more about how God healed than, God was, than the fact that God was healing in the first place. And we have a man who has a shriveled hand, and because of that, he cannot reach out. And he's in the midst of a church who is around him, but they won't reach out. And I have no clue which one is in worse shape, the man who can't reach out or the people who will not reach out. And Jesus sees this situation and sickens him. This is God's house. This is the temple of God. And you have people who, who are just have this faith, false objective, and, and all they want to do is find offense and be offended and be angry at a situation Jesus asks the question, what is your objective? He asks the entire room, what's the point? To heal, to save a life, or to take a life? To do good, or to do evil? What is the objective of your faith? 
And I think a lot of times when we cry out to God and we're wanting to have faith and we're asking him and we're praying and we believe we're having faith, what we're really doing is praying for ourselves, which isn't necessarily bad. But when all we ever do is try and make ourselves more comfortable with our prayers, say, God, give me a better job because this job I have is not fun. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you ever pray is to become more comfortable so that you can have more certainty in your life or, or God, I, I just really want my hand to be healed. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all you ever focus on or your kids or your finances or, or whatever it might be, let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you prayed for something that would make your life less comfortable if he did it? Sometimes that's how we need to pray. Because when you're less comfortable, you have to have more faith. And God wants us to grow in our faith. I'll never forget when I was 19 years old, called to be a pastor when I was 13. And I had been uh, on all of these missions trips. And I went on this one missions trip when I was 13 years old, got called to the ministry. I saw this group of people, these college kids, and they were doing amazing things. And, and they're all on fire for the Lord. And I saw them ministering and doing all this stuff. And I was like, wow, that is amazing. So I get out of high school and I go down to uh, um, Olympia, Washington, and I go into this program. And for the first six months, I'm so excited and I actually paid money to do this. And I'm just waiting to be able to do all these amazing things. And all I'm doing is cleaning toilets and blowing leaves in the parking lot. And I'm like, this isn't what I signed up for. I paid money to do this. And I was frustrated. And, and I was like, this isn't what faith is. This isn't about what I want to do. I'm supposed to be a minister. I'm supposed to be preaching to people. I'm supposed to be seeing people come to Jesus. And all I'm doing is cleaning toilets. That's, no one's coming to Jesus because I'm cleaning a toilet. Even, even though they do. They, they do. I, I've heard stories. And it's very awesome. But let me tell you. Have you ever had God speak to you so loud? Not with words. But that it echoes through your heart and your soul. And God spoke to me in the midst of the dysfunction of my faith where I just wanted things that were comfortable and things that I thought I should be doing. And he said, if you don't like my process, see how far you get on your own. I've never been so excited to clean a urinal in my life. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for this awesome smell. You see, my faith had become dysfunctional. So faith always has an objective, and the objective that you find in your faith will reflect the health of the faith that you have. So faith has an objective. Faith also has an occasion. In Mark 3, 2, this is also the same story told from a different angle. It says, so they watched him closely, this is the Pharisees, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so they might accuse him. Now, you know that Jesus is picking a fight here? Because he could have waited till the next day. You ever thought about that? It's not like this guy was dying. It's not like this guy had some, some sickness that was going, he was going to kill over and die on Monday morning. Or on Sunday, I guess, because Sabbath Saturday. But whatever. So we'll just say Sunday. Um, Jesus didn't heal a man who's in a critical condition. This guy's not going to die. But Jesus healed on a day of no work to show that the system was not working, that what they were doing was not working. And so Jesus uses a situation to confront a broken system. 
a broken system that no longer showed faith, that no longer showed or reflect the goodness of God. And I think there's so many times in our lives that we want to just address a system, Jesus, or a situation, Jesus addressed a system. We want to look and say, this is a problem that's rearing its ugly head, so I want to take care of that problem. But there's a whole system that I need to adjust, but that is too big and that's too much. So I'll just try and take care of the of the, the system. Not the system, but the situation and and not worry about the system. But if you want to have success in life, you have to not just address the situation, but you have to address the system. When you're only focused on the situation, it's like you're playing whack-a-mole with your your issues. You're like trying to hit one and next and you're trying to get them all, but you can't get them all. And those darn little gophers keep coming out of the holes and you just can't do it. The only way to stop it is to fix the system. Go behind the machine and unplug it. Then nothing else is going to come up. Thank you, Jesus. That's how you do it. You have to address the system. Jesus addresses the system. He doesn't want you to play whack-a-mole with your problems for the rest of your life. Uh, I was watching House Hunters, Hunters a few weeks ago, and they had this couple on the show. And uh, they're talking about uh, Feng Shui, I think it's called. Feng Shui, have you guys heard of that? It's this Feng Shui, shui, thank you. (laughs) And so it's this ancient Chinese belief that the construction of your house will give you good or bad fortune or will cause good things to happen in your life or bad things to happen in your life and in your house. So if there's a wall in the entryway to your house, then that will make your life hard. Or if there's a window opposite a door, it will cause problems for you. So if you fix the wall, and that's what they're saying, we just need to fix that wall. Or in our case, with what we're talking about, if you just fix the situation, then life will be good. But this is how we view faith, I think, of a lot of times, is if I will just fix one problem, then I'll fix my life. But guess what? Fixing a wall or fixing a situation will never change your life. You have to look at the system, the Things that you're dealing with on a global view and scope and look at those things because fixing a wall will not help you. Sometimes you have to fix and change and get a different house, not just a wall. The situation was a system or was a symptom of the system. The situation that these men that Jesus is watching and their bitterness and their anger and all the things that they're going through was a was a symptom of a broken system, a system that no longer had faith, that had all the dysfunction. And so Jesus decides, I'm going to restore on an occasion that was meant for restoration. I'm going to restore on occasion that was meant for restoration. And the Pharisees freak out. They're so angry. How dare Jesus restore on a day of restoration? You see, the Pharisees had compartmentalized their faith. In their system, the Sabbath was the point. But in the way the system was supposed to be taught and observed, restoration was the point. And that was gone. They had it all figured out. And they're saying, well, the reason that we can do this is because my mom and dad did it. 
The reason that, that this is the way it's done is because this is how grandma and grandpa did that. And after generation and generation to generation, this is how we do things. And this is how it's done. So this is how we're going to do it. And this is what my faith is like. And how many of you guys have, have felt, well, this is the way things have always been done. And this is the way that we've always had faith. So we're going to continue to do things this way. Not because God wants it this way, but because I think that it's supposed to go this way. Because we've always done it this way. And I, I don't think that faith is supposed to be an heirloom. I I don't think that. I think we need to look at God's word and sometimes we need to look at the dysfunction of our faith and say, now I'm going to have true faith. I'm going to do things a different way. I'm going to believe and stretch myself and not just be comfortable in my life. I'm going to walk out in a way that causes me to need more faith in my life. I think we need a more functional faith, a faith that functions. Have you ever I don't know if, if you're married, if you're not married, um, and you get China dishware, like that really pretty stuff that you get when you're married, and it just sits there, and it looks really pretty, and you're supposed to eat on it, but you're not supposed to eat on it. <laughs> and so it just sits there, and you take it out on special occasions, maybe, and, and it's beautiful, but it's not functional, because you're not allowed to use it. I don't get it. It's like towels. In your bathroom that you're not allowed to touch. (laughs) Don't you touch that towel. Trust me, I know. Don't you touch those towels. Because they are there not to be used. (laughs) I think sometimes our faith is like that towel or like that fine china. Where it's only supposed to be pulled out on Easter and Christmas. Listen, that is not the faith that I want. And that is not the faith that I want for you. I want a paper plate type of faith. Anyone else here? I want a paper plate type of faith. A faith that I can use every day. I want a faith that I can use on Mondays that can get me through my Tuesdays, that can get me through the entire week, that when things are going bad, I don't have to worry about it breaking. I can drop it on the floor and pick it up, and there might be ketchup on it. That's okay. I, I, I'm going to have a hamburger on it later. When you have hamburgers later and you have a paper plate, think about this, that we need a paper plate type of faith, something that when it, you're in traffic and somebody cuts you off, man, I'm going to have faith. I need my paper plate with me. I don't need a piece of china. Because I have a piece of china, I might throw it at that car and break it and stab them with it or something like that. <laughs> Jesus performs a miracle. He completes the objective on an occasion. So what's the outcome? Well, there's actually two outcomes. The first outcome is a man's hand gets healed. The second outcome is a heart gets hardened. In fact, a lot of hearts get hardened. Luke six eleven going on in the story. But they were filled with rage and discussed with one another what they might do to Jesus. So we have one event, which is a healing. We have two outcomes, one for the man, one for the Pharisees. Now, this has really nothing to do with this story. But can I just tell you, if you need a specific outcome in your life to validate your faith, it's only a matter of time before you lose it. If you need that job to come through for you to validate your faith in God, or if you need the right report to come through to validate your faith in God, or a favorable answer to come through to validate your faith in God, it is only a matter of time before you lose your faith because your faith is now dysfunctional. And you need to go back to having functional faith, faith that doesn't rely 
on, on one thing happening because God is so much bigger than that one thing. And I know for a fact there are people here this morning and they haven't had the healing that they've been praying for and they haven't had the answer that they've wanted and they haven't gotten the job that they thought they should get, yet they still come to church and they still praise God and they still believe even though they do not see. And that is a different kind of faith. That is a functional faith. That is a faith that works even when my body doesn't work. That is a faith that works even when my situation isn't great great. We have to not allow our outcome to determine our outlook on God. It's in his timing. It isn't in ours because I can look at my situation different because of my faith. Sometimes my faith that I have doesn't guarantee that I don't go back to the hospital. Sometimes the faith that I have doesn't mean that I get that job Or that my kids are always good. Or that my marriage is going to right now be different. But let me tell you, you cannot allow your faith to be hostage to an outcome. If your faith is hostage to an outcome, then you will never have a faith that grows. Because it's always tied to what happens next or what does not happen next. We need a faith that no matter what the outcome allows us to stand, come hell or high water. Because the Bible says, For I am convinced that neither life, nor death, nor angels, nor demons, nor principalities, nor powers, nor, nor any other created thing can separate me from my God and from the faith that I have in Him. My faith is an outlook, and it allows me to see situations differently than if I didn't have faith. Or if it was held hostage by an outcome. If my faith is an outlook. Uh, it allows me to have forgiveness instead of holding offenses. It allows me to have hope instead of hopelessness. My faith allows me to, have, to believe in something better and to, instead of something worse. And I can look differently because I do not look by sight. The Bible says that we look by faith. So no matter what things are happening in your life, no matter how hard things get or how your emotions inside of you are playing with your mind, I still trust in God and I still praise him. Because faith isn't a frame of mind. Faith is a course of action that changes our frame of mind. It's how you look at things. It's an outlook in your life. And so Jesus, he commands this man in the midst of all of these people who are cynical, who are angry, who are judgmental. And Jesus says to this man, stand up. I want you to look at the order of faith because I think it reveals something very powerful. In Luke 6, 8 through 10, it says, But he knew their thoughts and said to the man who had a withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and and stood. And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save or to destroy life? Then when he had looked around at all of them, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he did so. And the man's hand was restored as whole as the other. You see, Jesus makes the man stand up first in the midst of all these people who want to judge him. This man stands up. Now notice that he stands up, his hand still withered. I think a lot of times we don't want to stand up until our hand is restored. Jesus says, stand up. See, there's an order to things when it comes to faith. He says, stand before you see a change. 
In the same story in Mark's gospel, in 3, 5, it says, He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed. This is Jesus at their stubborn hearts. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. See, we have a man with a shriveled hand. But it also says that we have people with stubborn hearts. And to be honest, I don't know what's worse. I don't know what I would rather have. Would I rather have a stubborn heart or a withered hand? A shriveled hand or a stubborn heart? The condition of the heart was an image of what was happening in the situation. You have stubborn hearts, hearts full of anger, hearts full of judgment. And this man's hand is quite literally a reflection of what was going on in their faith. That their faith was now withered. That their faith now was dysfunctional. This man doesn't have a hand that they could use, but these people didn't have a faith that they could use. Their hearts were wrong. Their hearts were messed up. This man didn't, couldn't use anything in his right hand, in his functional hand, in the hand that he probably did everything with. But these people, they couldn't do anything because their hearts were just as bad as this man's hand. Their, this hand was a reflection of a heart. This hand was a reflection of a system. This hand was a reflection of a dysfunctional faith that needed to be changed. So Jesus comes into a situation to bring and to expose the issues to not just fix a situation, but to fix a system. Jesus didn't come just to fix a person, but to fix us all so that we can all go to heaven, so that we could all be free, so that we could all see the face of God. He comes for the system, not just for the situation. He comes into your life and he doesn't want to just fix the situation. He wants to fix the the system of your life. God didn't bring you here today to just fix a situation. He wants to fix the system. And so this man, he stands up and his hands withered and Jesus looks at him. And so what Jesus says is, stick out your hand, stretch out your hand. Now, I don't know about you, but if it was me, he didn't specify which hand. Is the right hand was withered. You know what I'd be doing? <laughs> I don't want to expose my, my mess. I don't want to expose my dysfunction. I don't want to expose the, the bad parts, the withered parts, the embarrassing parts, the things that are holding me back or pulling me back so that, that I can't do everything that God's called me to do. I, I don't want to do that. He's in the midst of these people. These people are judgmental. These people, they, 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 they want to find something wrong. And Jesus says to stretch out your hand. And, and if it was me, I would be stretching out my left hand and hiding my right hand behind my back. Jesus says, no, not that hand. Stretch out your issue. Jesus didn't bring you here this morning to show off the parts of your life that are working. Jesus wants to heal and fix the parts of your life that aren't. He wants you to have functional faith. He wants you to have faith that is not based off of a situation or circumstance, but that can get you through that situation or that circumstance. Jesus didn't ask to see the good hand. He wanted to see the bad one. Jesus isn't asking to see the things that you have right in your life right now. He wants to fix and heal the things that are going wrong. And Jesus, he restores this man's hand and then tells him to stretch it out. And it was all things were good. No, that's not how it happened. 
he said, stand up. You have a problem and stretch it out. Now, Jesus asked him to do what he quite literally could not do on his own. To have a withered hand meant that you cannot stretch it out. It was withered. Jesus says, have faith. Do something that you have never been able to do. And I will do something that you have never been able to do. I'll show you something that you've never been able to do in your life. Faith commands you to do what you have never been able to do or what you have convinced yourself that you could never do on your own. Faith calls you to conquer when all you've ever known is defeat. Faith tells you to stretch out your hand when you've been hiding it behind your back for years and years and years because you don't want anyone to see. And it's significant that this healing was of a hand because if it was of feet, everyone would have known because people would have had to carry him in. If this was eyes, somebody would have had to lead him in. Everyone would have known it. But this was his hand. He could have hidden it. He could have kept it secret. There are things in your life that that you walk into church with and you think, I can just keep this secret. This is easy. I I can just hide it. But, But Jesus wants to expose those things in your life so that he can give you faith, so that you can do so much more. And he asks you to stretch out your hand. He says, I want to change you. I want to fix the, the, the system that says that you don't have enough faith or that you've been too beaten down or you've done too many things that are wrong. And, and he says, just stand up and stretch out your hand. And I believe this morning he's asking you and me to do the same thing. Maybe you've come to church for a long time and you always keep your hand hidden. You never want to expose it because you're afraid of what might happen. Let me tell you what will happen. God will stretch your faith and he will show you something that you've never seen before. God wants you to have a stretched faith this morning. And God says, if you will do what you've never done, I will do what you would never believe. He wants to heal you. He's asking you to stretch your faith. Because he's wanting to heal your hand, whatever that hand might be in your life. And listen, I can preach God's truth from God's word, but me telling you the truth will not heal you. The man had to stand and he had to stretch out his hand. There is an order to faith and we have to abide by that order. We have to take that step. And listen, it's not in this story. It's not some huge thing. It's not like Jesus asked this man to get up and then like do a handstand or draw a Picasso. Like this is a simple thing. Just stretch out your hand. It could be something so simple for you that God wants to expand your faith, that he wants to stretch your faith and do something that you've never seen before. And it could be as simple as as just going to work on time. It could be something as simple as finally setting a budget for your life, for for your finances. I mean, maybe there's someone here and you need to stretch out that bad hand, which is asking your dad for forgiveness. Or finally cutting off the internet because of what it keeps tripping you up on every day. God is asking you to stretch out your hand. Maybe it's something that you never thought you could do on your own. Maybe it's just as simple as getting in God's word at the beginning of every day. And you thought, I can't do that. I can't get up that early. I can't, I can't get in God's word. And it's, I can't read anyways. It just makes me fall asleep. And God's saying, stretch out your hand and stand. 
God's calling us to do something. It's time for us to have functional faith, to have a faith that works. And next week, I'm very excited because we're going to pick up right on this story where we left off. So please come back so that we can continue to talk about the faith that God wants to give every single one of us. A functional faith, a faith that works. Faith works. I promise you faith works, but you have to stand and you have to trust and you have to stretch out your hand. So if you would stand with